Welcome to Enscope, the healthcare security podcast. Each episode, we bring you interviews, technical tips, and a unique point of view on the challenges facing the ever-changing healthcare ecosystem. Here's your host, Mike Murray. Welcome. With us today, we have Frank Attilio. Frank's been around for a long time. I mean, I think there's a lot about a bunch of old guys sitting around talking about security, but Frank's been doing this for for over 20 years, you know, across a whole bunch of things. One of his more uh, recent roles was as the CISO of CarePoint Health, but Frank has done all kinds of different things in his career. And, uh, you know, the conversation today that we really wanted to focus on is, is what it's like to be a CISO when you're struggling with budget, when you're struggling with the the organization that you're with and just when, when you're dealing with all these things. Um, Frank advises tons of companies and is on the Rutgers advisory board as well. And uh, is just a really smart guy about security that I've gotten to know over the last little while. Thought we would have a chat today. So Frank, welcome. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So really interesting, you know, background you have. You've done everything from super technical to C-level executive. As a place to start, what do you think the really important stuff, if you're sitting in the C-level suite, especially in healthcare, because obviously we're talking about healthcare a lot, if you're sitting in the C-level suite, what are you focusing on these days, especially with the world being as weird as it is? The way I see right now is it uh, focuses, do you look at the old way they used to hack and there's new ways to hack and you've got to address both. Yeah. When you say the old ways, what, which ones are you specifically thinking? I mean, I'm, phishing is a big one right now because right now phishing, I constantly do phishing uh, attacks within my network to validate that everybody's cooperating. And I got to understand every time I do it, I get 99% people clicking on it. And the phishing old way has been migrated and mutated from just clicking on a URL. Now, if you just hover over the URL, the malware comes in. And they also did where they do documents that are attached for malware. So you can get a legitimate document from another person in your firm, but that was in some way it got compromised with malware. So as soon as you open it and you don't see any of this going, it's in the background. Those are the biggest concerns we have right now. So it really is like the old days, right? It's really like going back 20 years to, to some of the simple stuff. Good friend of mine, Cliff Neve, who runs Mad Security, used to used to say it's the dumb stuff that we we don't like doing, but those are the most important things to do. You know, what are your thoughts on that? How do you solve this, especially right now? It's it's true, and and I'll tell you, I have I had a mentor. He's no longer here. His his expression, and and this is way back when I was starting as a technician in the help desk. He said, "Listen, Frank, I don't care what you put on, but." you got to look. It's got a frame, four wheels, an engine transmission. Everything else is just static. So just concentrate on the basics. If you can get the basics down, and I've lived my career by doing the basics, everything else will fall in place. And, and it has. You're right. Fishing and, and, you know, education is a big thing. We don't educate our employees enough. And, and what I did institute was, when you now come into the company CarePoint, you now have to take a test. It's not a big test, but you take a test on competency of knowing about security, cybersecurity, and how to utilize a PC. Then you get a certificate. That certificate actually helps you with reducing your cost on cybersecurity insurance because now you've proven that there was a test 
and you pass it. Their problem is keeping up with that because once they do it, and as money is a sea level, I have a problem with constantly having refresher courses. They don't want to show up. So I now now get them into a town hall where I now have the CMOs from each one of the hospitals mandated. So they come and I give them the class and the updated refresher course, and it helps a lot. Those are my biggest concerns on, on the old ways. I mean, there's other old ways too, like I was a network expert also before I became a security expert. The fault I see with CTOs today is they turn around and leave the default admin username and passwords in. And when you do a pen test, you find that constantly. Well, that's an easy way in. And the problem with leaving that, and then if they leave it in voice systems, data systems, any, you know, uh, border guards or firewalls, that's an easy way in. And, and, you know, hackers don't want complicated situations. The easy way in, they're going to do it. If it's hard, they're going to go someplace else and get that data. So that's something to keep in mind. So you said the, you know, the username and passwords. When I, when I first went to GE Healthcare, we had this practice of hard coding our root usernames and passwords and then printing the hard coded password in the manual. I imagine medical devices and healthcare IoT, I mean, especially a lot of the stuff that, that you know, is designed, especially the big iron, stays in the hospital for 20 or 25 years. How do you handle that when you've got all this old medical stuff that's, you know, that's all basically in the same situation, you know? That's a good question. And here's what I did. I turned around and I know my staff got annoyed with me, but hey, listen, I made them delete all local username, admin passwords and elevated privilege passwords and user IDs. I only use domain and they can only log on. Everybody that's on the IT staff has two logons. One that's just a normal Joe Smo, everybody else has. And then there's an elevated one. The only way they can log on with the domain admin is if they have to do work, they log on, they log back off, they deactivate that account, not delete it, but deactivate it, and they log on in a normal so they can do their normal routine. That I find with not elevated privileges, I've seen malware come in that couldn't execute. It's a simple fix. And I have to tell you, without having a budget, which is the biggest concern of healthcare, you have to find ways to do things that are creative. I tested this in New Jersey Rock, and we found out that it's true. Nothing can elevate. Now, the only drawback on that is, because I instituted the government as well, is if you forget your password and you go through 10 times, you're going to have to go in and plug into the network in order to recoup it. But look at what you're gaining. You're not spending money. You're gaining security. And the only thing you're going to gain is inconvenience if they don't know the password and they, they lock their system out they got to come to the site to plug in. I think that's well worth mitigating the risks that are out there. Yeah, it might be a bit more of a challenge in the COVID times with everybody having to work from home. But it's, you know, to your point, I think healthcare is, I mean, we all know healthcare security struggles with budgets. You're one of the people that I know that have done the most with the least. You know, you're probably the the best that I've ever seen at it. You know, maybe share with the audience kind of how you think about doing this with no budget, you know, because I'm sure there's a lot of other CISOs in, in that chair right now. Yeah, it is correct. And, you know, budget is a big thing with healthcare. You know, when you go to the board member and ask for a budget, they basically will show you the door. They want you to make, make sure that you don't get breached with no money. So what I did was I was creative. 
my voice, I spent millions of dollars with other biz- at other locations and, uh, and other positions I had. I was able to, because I treat them very well, I became very friendly with them. So at this point, they were concerned that I left the government, went to healthcare, and I had no budget. So then we talked six months later, had no budget. So they said to me, listen, Frank, I'll do you a favor. I'll, I'll, let's do a proof of concept. I'll give you this stuff for six months for free. And we'll, we'll keep on changing it out so you can get your ability to protect your, your identity and protect your company and not risk losing your job because of a breach. So when we did, we did. I would, what I did was, and this is, I didn't mention this to you before, and I'll mention it now, is I would do a VAR. They would lend me this software for six months to a year. I do a proof of concept. They would keep it. I would be able to keep it as well because what I did then said, I'll write, I'll evaluate your equipment. I'll fine-tune any of your systems. If you give me the ability to keep it, I'll write you IPRs. I'll follow through the IPRs. I'll make sure that that gets, you know, rectified. And then you'll get top of the line. And meanwhile, I did that. So what I did was it took a lot of time. I, I got the software installed. It was installed on my, you know, network. I was utilizing it. And then I would write the IPR. If I seen something I didn't like and it would be improvement, I would send that IPR to the company. And I would follow up with them until they got it resolved and retest it. So I kind of like did a barter system, and then people are probably going to laugh, but that's the only way you could do things in healthcare without a budget and being a CISO. I've seen so many of the healthcare's getting breached. That was the way to do it. You write IPRs, borrow, you know, get the software, help them fine-tune to become the top-notch. That's what they did, and, you know, it worked very well. And then I write reports as well and also reference letters for them other CISOs and and you know if they were looking to get into company A and company B I would send a reference letter over to company A B if I knew the personnel if I didn't I would still write the letter and they would then you know hand deliver it and when they try to get a meeting. It's funny man. I think most of the CISO community tends to to really complain about vendors and to avoid creating the relationships that you're talking about. What I hear you saying is that you know especially if you have no budget, good relationships can get you a long way. Absolutely. You've got to treat the vendors. I, I don't beat on my vendors. I'm sorry, but I find that way back when I was at Payne Weber, I was a, a young executive at the age of 21. I, I learned that you don't beat on your vendors. And, and one of my mentors, Tom Polando, was a fantastic guy. He kind of took me under his wing back then in Payne Weber. And, and one of the things he always told me, vendors are critical. Now, it's true, and I'm seeing this, and I'm mentoring the people that I have under me explaining to them that vendors is going to help you someday. And now they see firsthand and the excitement they get seeing what happens with me. Now they know that later on they can actually do the same thing. Budgetary issues are are critical and not having the proper equipment applications or uh, structure or infrastructure and security or, or uh, network security or network itself infrastructure really plugs, uh, you know, puts a big hole in risk. The other thing that I'll let you know that CISOs should know, I disagree. CISOs used to report right to the CEO, and now they report to the CIO. And on my experience in in the past, which is just the recent one I was at in healthcare, you could do whatever you want as a CISO to document every risk, right mitigations, right remediation plans, 
it's never going to get above the CIO because you have to hand it to him. So now it's the fox managing the head house. So eventually it's going to come to light. So the CISO that I'm sorry, the CIO that I reported to end up losing his job because at, they came in, the board decided to kick off a third party assessment. The assessment had everything that I documented, but never reached the board. So when they came in, they had said, listen, I haven't seen security or network security ending have any improvement. It's getting worse year by year. So it, my, my head would have been chopped off the block being the security expert here. But because I documented very well and kept that documentation, even though I submitted to CIO, it, it came to save my job. But seriously, you really got to understand there's new ways of doing things too. And we went with the old way, and I told you about the old way of doing with fishing. That's one thing. The other thing is I, I had an incident that happened, and we have used QuickBooks. And one of the things they, they did, which was really funny, they called up the user, made believe they were a field engineer for QuickBooks, said they had a problem. The person let them, you know, VPN in, and they let them RDP, and what happened was, they breached by getting all the documented records. Yeah. I was able to cut it off, be able to, you know, but point was these are new kind of old ways of RDP, old ways of calling. These old ways are so effective. The new ways they get into. So we talked about phishing. We talked about calling and, and posing as somebody in RDP and to get into the network. We talked about getting, you know, admin username passwords from default. Now I'm going to go new way. New way is people do not do VLANs anymore in VLAN and network, and that's a big problem. VLANs are a way of securing a network, and it was an old way of doing things back in the 80s and 90s. You know, what happened was I was in a conference with uh, the FBI and some healthcare, and the guy decided that his boss was away. He was going to plug the refrigerators on the network, and he did. And it was University Hospital of Utah. They plugged him in and they got breached right away because most of your chipsets come from China. Yeah. Most of your malware comes from China. It's already infected and the government doesn't regulate any chipsets. So you're becoming already with malware embedded and there's no way to test it. So therefore, they plugged it in. If they would have VLAN, like I VLAN my own network. So any system can only talk to a controller, cannot exit the network, cannot enter the network. It only can talk within its own VLAN. I did it to every one of the systems, EMR systems. If you needed to, to bridge the gap between the two networks, I was able to do that. And I did that too. Like The problem is the VLANs, people aren't used to using VLANs and thinking, well, my network's secure. It's not. The VLANs helped me considerably, and in Utah, I actually helped the University of Utah from the conference. I was in Chicago, told them the VLAN, and I actually went in and helped them VLAN it, and the guy thanked me for it, and, you know, it was an easy fix, and easy fix that costs no money, and CISOs out there, you're going you're gonna to laugh, but think stupid, and you get the answer. You know, like I said before in, in a previous statement of Mike, a car has four wheels, a frame, an engine, and transmission. Whatever you put on a Cadillac, whatever you put on a Chevrolet, for it doesn't matter. It still has the basics. So learn the basics, get the basics covered. And if you want to add things, sure. But, you know, 
Cecils are shooting themselves in the foot too, and Mike, and I'll tell you why. Cecils aren't understanding. They come up the ladder, they do all these book knowledge, and they don't have OJT. The problem is they're going to throw money at everything. Like I've seen every place that I went, they have like five different endpoints. They have, you know, a lot of threat intelligence, so many that one of the things that I noticed and I've seen, and Mike, and this happened with me, I had silence in my network and I went to Sentinel One. The CTO didn't want to take it out proper, just decided he was going to do it without my advice. Well, what happened was the agents were still on, so we had Sentinel One going crazy because Silence was still there, and Silence was catching things that Sentinel was catching that what Silence was doing and think it was malware. <laughs> Be clean, do things the right way, and you won't have problems. Yeah, multiple endpoint softwares running at the same time can definitely Absolutely. Be, <laughs> that that can be that can be a fun nightmare. Absolutely. Um, so, so quick yes. one on on the VLAN thing. I agree with you. As you were talking about that, I was flashing back to my CCNA, um, yeah. you know, that I got early in my career. But, but I think it's it's really interesting. I think the VLAN thing has been harder for healthcare than for most other places. You know, if you go to a financial services firm, they've still got strong VLANing. But I feel like in healthcare, it's the idea of of risk aversion around. If I have these two devices that have never spoken before and maybe on separate VLANs and suddenly they need to talk when a patient is bleeding out on the table, the answer for for a lot of healthcare has just been, okay, take out the VLANs, take out the internal firewalls. Let's make sure they're all on a flat network so they can always talk to each other. But it lends to the problem that you're talking about. Like, how do you how do you see across the the healthcare environment? How how do your peers handle that? Because it's it seems like we've been very risk averse for a very long time around non-cyber issues, but now obviously you have to consider that too. I did consider it. And what happened was I have a switch. So say, you know, they need to talk. I Based on, that's why I did, I, I now instituted Cardigan and IAM. What happens is based on your role, you have access. So you may be able to get between two VLANs that say somebody underneath you doesn't need it, cannot do it. It's automated. So you, if you know that, okay, you're a doctor, and you pretty much know you've got to cross VLANs, because we put you in cardigan, you and your doctor being a doctor of A, B, or C, you know you got to go through VLAN A, B, and C to get to the systems. Because of your title and who you are, you automatically get routed among them. Now, it, it, I haven't had a problem setting it up that way with, with an IAM and automated configurations, and I use the AD and the LDAP to make sure it gets done properly. I haven't had a problem, Mike. Uh, honestly, I, you know, with the hospitals, with everything that was going on, I didn't have a problem. You're going to get a whole bunch of phone calls from people after this goes live because everybody's going to be like, hey, Frank, how do I do this in my environment? Because, I, I mean, I think that, you know, you just described, I, I've heard people say repeatedly, identity is the new perimeter. And tying your network access to your identity is sort of the holy grail of like Google's Beyond Corp idea and some of the new zero trust architectures you're talking about. If you know, if you don't have the good identity, zero trust doesn't work very well. But what you're describing is really like is is effectively the beginning of a wonderful zero trust framework that doesn't cost you a whole lot of money. You don't have to go to a zero trust vendor to set up what you're talking about. Absolutely. And the other thing is set up federated trust. You make it system to system because if you use system to system ports, nobody could break in. I'm starting to do that now because now I realize I need to do federated trust. I did a lot of federated trust with my contractors that needed to do billing or something like that, but they still get all their data over an SFTP. 
So Federated Trust set up, and I don't have to worry about it. These are all the old ways that you really have to pay attention to. One of the things I never did, I'm going to talk to you about the new ways. And this is funny because CTOs don't figure it. CISOs are trying to get the CTOs know it. The CIO don't want to hear it, and the problem is, let me give you an example. I'm going to give you an example of each one, and I'll go through my story. Medical devices. They're considered IoT, but they're really medical devices. Every one of these things have been in this hospital for ages, and they update their firmware. They don't. I have firmware that's 20 years old. Their idea is if it works, it's not broken, don't touch it. My problem is you still have a way to get in because those devices have a CPU that needs to get out of the internet. And when you're going out to the internet, you got it, you dot people have mobile units now. It's not like years ago the hospital was contained. It's not contained. Now you've got mobile emergency rooms going out there and they got to connect back to the hospital. You have doctor offices. You don't use private lines anymore. You use VPN. It's a lot more budgetary friendly compared to the expense of doing a private line. So therefore you have to make sure you're secured all the way around. These things are IOTs that work. And I'll give you an instance. We did have a hack. We had a hack that came in on a pacemaker that came back and they violated the pacemaker and the patient died. So now we got sued. So I had approved that. We had all the security in place. We did not. The board then gave me money. It was 75 grand to do. I got Medicaid in and I did the IOTs and, and fantastic, beautiful piece of equipment. Eris wasn't mature enough, the other competitor. And honestly, that's one piece medical devices. Now you've got people with BI. Here's my biggest thing. Ready? Don't got no budget, Frank. Right. I said, I don't let BOIODs on my network. Well, the board, chairman of the board decides that he wanted his phone on the network. Everybody can have BYODs now. So I, now I said to him, well, I need an MDM, but really, I really don't need an MDM. I don't need an MAM. I need an NAM. He goes, what's that? I said, network access management. I need to put bins on people's phones that are, are company owned that I can erase if they go away. Right. Now, you can't have a bunch of So right now, BYODs, I'm trying to run through my NAC. I have a NAC called Forescout. Yep. And I'm actually bastardizing that network to work as an NAM. And it's working, but it's creative things like that when you don't have money that you have to work with. And the NAM was bought by the CTO, but I was able to put my security spin on it, which helped out. So that's now medical devices. That's now BYODs. Here's two killers for you. Voice systems. They're not voice like the old time when you got a, you know, an operator plugging a wire. So, you know, you have to take a look. It's data. Every phone system out there is VoIP or an IP-based phone. That's data. It's easy to hack data. Yeah. Guess what? You, the people won't realize you got to VLAN them out as well. So I, I did that. I worked with them to VLAN them, set them up. That was taken care of. And it, the first thing I got, I had people hacking into the VLAN. Had, we had Mitigate working with the phones because that doesn't interfere. It's like a passive way. We had people from all over the world hacking into our – and I showed the board. Okay, you got that. Now, we didn't pay for it. So I had, what I, had I got one year free. I've been working IPRs with them. I've been doing like what we're doing now, helping them out. And that's how we've been paying for it. And that's helping me out because 
that is a big one. I'll tell you just just a quick one as a as a CEO of a very new vendor. I mean, customers like you are gold to to us. It's you always want to be able to show the top line and the and the revenue and all of that kind of stuff. But a customer who will engage and who will tell us when we're not good at what we're doing and will give us advice on, hey, you know, need this feature, need that feature, need this report, need this, you know, this dashboard. Man, uh, people like you are are gold to people like us, and and so. What I've seen is it's funny. I think most CISOs don't ever ask their vendors like, hey, you know, can I barter, right? Can I don't have budget this year, but maybe I could deploy you anyway and I'll be a reference for you and I'll work with you and, you know, I'll, I'll give you advice and, and you know, you can, you can use me as a guinea pig. And I think that that's so, so rare do we do that in, in this industry. And I think you're, you're nailing it. You know, it's funny, were you in my office? Because that's exactly my spiel to the bars. <laughs> you know, I hope you get better and you give me the system. Let me work the IPRs and I hope you fix them. Yeah. I hope you come to the top of the line. We'll bother it. And, and seems to be what I've been doing since healthcare. Like I did it in the government, but we're not allowed to do it. So I used to get my hands slapped a lot. Yep. But when I came to healthcare and I realized I was I was at risk of being getting a bad name, I went to barter out. And, and like I said, the vendors, are, they're willing to work with you. They want to improve their system. They want their name out there. Hey, well, hey, how come you didn't get breached? Well, I'm using Medicaid. Hey, I'm using Center One. I'm using right. Scout. And, and they're on top of the line. And, well, if, is there any problems with API? No, but they only APIs talk to one. And I use, here's my ticket. I even use my NAC as a SIM. I don't have a true SIM. <laughs> I built Scout to act as a NAC to take all the syslogs in, sort them out, and give me get rid of all the false positives, and I fine-tuned it. So now my knack is now a sim as well, even though it was never a sim. Now they market it for Scout that you could use my knack as a sim, and it works. That's so hilarious. It, it really helps out. I mean, you get the bang of two for the buck. But I get the bang of having that system in at a comparable. Now, I couldn't get that one for free. We did pay it, but I think I got about 25% of the cost based on me going and doing everything I need to do to help them out. Yeah, it's a it's a great way to do it. I mean, it's it, it, you're so as a CISO, you know, your job is don't get breached. They they don't always tell you how you have to accomplish that, right? You, yes. you know, and especially when they say don't get breached. By the way, you have no dollars. You know, you get to be creative. You got to come up with some some neat ideas. With that, I, I know we're running up on time. I just wanted to thank you. And, and important question, where, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to ask you more about how to do this on no budget and how to, how to navigate this and how to be creative? If you go on LinkedIn and you look at my profile, Frank Atelio, I have my son's Frank Atelio on there as well. I'm Frank P. Atelio, but also, Mike, one more last one. Yeah, sure it is. You know, besides the... Make sure that you guys, when you do passwords, make sure this is really a simple, very simple. This is going back to the basics. When you instruct your staff, please make sure that they don't write that passwords down. And don't instruct them that it has to be so complicated. They have to write it down. One of the biggest breaches I've seen in the government is everybody writes a password under the keyboard. Well, anybody could get it. So what happened one day? It's short story. One day somebody came in flipped over the keyboard, signed it in, sent a nasty <laughs> telegram, you know, email, and he got fired because he couldn't prove he wasn't at the desk. Yep. So make sure that nobody writes it. I had that at the hospital. We had somebody jump over the desk, steal somebody's pocketbook, got their first name, last name, and they were able to log on and send information that they, they shouldn't have. 
So keep that in mind. Simple, basic ways are, are key. And you're right. Anything you could do to barter. I tried, uh, like, um, let's see, logarithmic. I use their freeware. Honeypot, I use their network monitoring. These are freeware. Freeware is a little dangerous because you don't know what the back end is. But yes. when you have no budget, you've got to try to keep it in, under control. I log on every day, every darn console, and I look at every system. I follow everything up, even to see so much staff does too. We don't trust anybody. See, that's that's the way you got to do it. You gotta you gotta put in the effort. You gotta put in the work, and you gotta do that. Frank, thank you again for being a guest today. Very informative, and I'm sure the audience has learned a ton. I'm sure people will reach out to you and ask a bunch of questions as well. Thanks again for the time today. No, you're welcome, Mike. Anytime. Up next is the latest installment of Vital Signs, where the Scope Security team shares their insights and advice on issues we think the healthcare security community should know about. We talk a lot about the difficulty of healthcare security, but I don't think most security folks that aren't in healthcare understand why it's so difficult. One of the main reasons is that healthcare often exists as three separate security domains, each with its own set of challenges. The first domain within the modern healthcare environment is the traditional IT environment. It's the laptops, the desktops, the switches, the routers, the firewalls, etc. that exist in literally every modern corporation. Healthcare is no different than your average financial institution or technical company in this way. The healthcare security team has to worry about phishing their users and exploitation of vulnerabilities in servers, malware, just like everybody else. The second environment is one that you hear a lot about, and we talk about it a lot clinical technology, and the shorthand is often to talk about medical devices. And as you know, we talk a lot about the challenges of this environment. Out-of-date operating systems, systems that don't have patches available or can't be brought into your modern security environment, that you can't deploy security technology on. In a lot of ways, this environment is akin to the operational technology or OT or IoT environment that you hear a lot when you talk about those who have to secure factories and other industrial control systems. The third environment, though, is the center of the healthcare ecosystem, the Electronic Medical Record System, or EMR. The EMR forms the beating heart of the modern hospital technology environment and also holds all of the patient data, not only the patient's PII, like their address and their birth date, but also their financial data, records of every interaction between the patient and the doctor, medications that the doctor prescribes, and literally every activity that happens in the entire health system. A breach of the EMR is the ultimate breach of the hospital in that all of the key data is stored there. As a healthcare security leader, it's not enough to simply secure one of the three environments. To build a modern healthcare security program, you have to have a strategy for securing all three. Most importantly, you need to have security controls that allow you to track an attacker as they move from one environment to the other. The modern breach scenario is an attacker who fishes a laptop and then uses that laptop to compromise a medical device and then uses the medical device to access the EMR and steal the data. That's the nightmare scenario that every healthcare CISO has to live with, and that's the difficulty of securing healthcare. Thanks for joining us for this episode of InScope. To make sure you never miss an episode, hop on over to www.scopesecurity.com to sign up. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have ideas for topics, guests, or technical tips, please contact us at podcast at scopesecurity.com.